five years ago, uh, oh, there's on. Okay, about five years ago. Uh, so my son-in-law uh, borrowed some gear and uh, and we went surfing. Now I could tell you, I'm a surfer. I look like a surfer. I got my surfboard. I have the ocean. But I want to tell you, I am not a surfer. It's very hard to surf. And I found it impossible to surf. But I wanted to take this picture to see that I look like a surfer. You know, the reason I tell you that story, and uh, what does it have to do with the message today? Well, I think we've all read about the Holy Spirit, you know, understood some theology about the Holy Spirit, but for many of us, we've never experienced the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life to the extent that Jesus wants us to. You know, I've always heard that surfing is so exhilarating to catch the wave and to be propelled on that surfboard. It's quite an experience, but I never experienced it. What happened to me was I, you know, I kept on drinking water, falling off my surfboard. But there's people that never experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit for a few reasons. One of them is this, is that I want us, each one of us, individually and corporately as a church, to experience more of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is so necessary. It is what Jesus talked about, what he instructed his disciples before he went away, as we just read in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It's everything that we need. But then there's another reason I want to preach about the Holy Spirit, and it's because there's different theologies out there about the Holy Spirit. If you go to different churches, there's different beliefs about the Holy Spirit. And for some, the theology is that you cannot expect things to happen as happened in the book of Acts in your life or the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be the same way it happened in the book of Acts. And there's people that actually teach this in seminaries that teach this and churches that practice that. But when I read the Bible, I don't see Jesus saying that. I don't see him saying that uh, this was for that time, but now you live based on your willpower, your um, service and sacrifice, and that's how the church grows. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. He said, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we really couldn't do anything in this world for eternal consequences in, in His eternal kingdom. You know, I was reading some uh, books about the Holy Spirit, one of them called Joy Unspeakable, by Dr. Uh, Lloyd uh, Martin Jones, and uh, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. He, he lived in the 1960s, had his ministry in the 1960s in England. He was an Anglican minister. Anglican minister, Reformed theology. Let me put it like this. It's usually a very liturgical, dead service. But Dr. Jones understood that the Holy Spirit was missing in most of his congregants' life. And so he began to study and preach about it. He was a very conservative in his theology, but people listened to him because of that. And because of that, God began to work a revival in his church. But this is one of the things that he said. 
A danger in our day is to be so satisfied with something very much less than what is offered in the Scripture, and the danger of interpreting Scripture by our experience and reducing it to teaching to the level of what we know and experience. In other words, certain people by nature are afraid of the supernatural, of the unusual. You can be so afraid of disorder, so concerned about discipline, decorum, and control that you become guilty of what the Scripture calls quenching the Spirit. And there is no doubt in my mind there has been a great deal of this. This was Dr. Uh, Jones in the, in the 1960s when he preached that and wrote that. The book came out much later as they took uh, the, uh, the book from his messages that he preached. But what happened after the 1960s or in the 1960s was there was a great revival of the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting. The church has never been able to move forward without a revival or the empowering of the Holy Spirit taking place within the church and within individuals. There's been a, when there's a quenching of the Spirit, a lot of times people just don't come to faith in Christ and the movement of God is hindered in a very, very powerful way. And it's a very sad state to be in, the church to be in. Last week I talked about how personally I know I've quenched the Holy Spirit in my life. When God's told me to do something or led me to do something, I said, could that be really God telling me to do that? And then I just say, no, 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 no. I heard a story of, uh, of a grandmother this week that sense God telling her to not go to prayer meeting, but go to her grandson's school and just give them a blessing. And what a powerful thing that happened there. The school principal, they brought out the principal, the assistant principal, I think, and they all said, can you believe what's happening here? I've never seen this happen before. And it was a total witness to the principal that a grandmother would come all the way from Long Island, go to Connecticut just to pray for her children and just to greet them and hug them and tell them she loves them. It was obviously led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but there's times when I ignore that nudging, that prompting that the Holy Spirit is telling me to do something. And when I do, I think I miss out on so many opportunities of what God wants to do. But you see, we are in a place, if we call ourselves Christians, we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what Jesus said, and this is what we talked about last week. This is what Jesus' words to his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it's for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, and he describes the helper, the Amplified Bible describes it as the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, the standby, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you to be close in close fellowship with you. Getting back to my surfer illustration, what if one of the champion surfers in Australia, and they've got a lot of them, what if he came up to me and said, Al, I'm going to teach you how to surf. And I, and, I, and I still try, and I tried to do it, and I couldn't do it. And then he said, no, I'm going to empower you to surf. And then I got on the board and I felt like a professional surfer. And I actually surfed like a professional surfer. I'd say, wow, that really worked. 
This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is said to come to us and empower us to live the Christian life in the power and the presence of Christ is supposed to be manifested to us. That's what Jesus was talking about. Nothing less than that. And so God wants us to experience this. I encourage you to read this week, John 14 through 16. Talk, it, he, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit right through there. And then turn to the book of Acts in chapters 1 through 4 and you see what is played out. The very thing that Jesus spoke about, people are experiencing. Sometimes, <clears throat> what we do, we read the Bible, we're experiencing much less than that, and so we try to interpret the Bible based on our lack of experience. And so we come up with theologies that says, no, those, the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, they stopped in the first century. We don't need them anymore. Are you kidding me? We need them. <laughs> we need them. We need the gifts and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. So, what happens in the book of Acts? The, in the book of Acts, the uh, writer Luke is recalling what Jesus said. And he's telling this to Theophilus, who's re he's writing this account. And he says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very clear here. Jesus said there's a baptism for repentance, but then there's a baptism for the Holy Spirit. Well, you can say to me, Al, don't I receive the Holy Spirit when I ask Jesus Christ into my life? And I'd say, yes, you do. But that doesn't mean you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you've received the full power an anointing that God wants for your life. And we see that in the book of Acts. You can see that over and over again. Last week I pointed out in Acts chapter 19, those people in Ephesus, they had been baptized, but they had not yet received the full promise of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so the Apostle Paul had to pray for them, for that, them to receive that. And we'll see it again later on in this message of somebody else that had that same experience. But let me tell you about my experience with the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Al, have you ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Yes, I have. I have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what happened. When I was a, a, a young man of 18, I received the Lord into my life at a concert that I've told you about. But when I came back from that concert, I struggled. I struggled in my life because I was... Almost, I would say, about this close, addicted to alcohol and drugs. Uh, I mean, fully addicted. I mean, I had to, I, this, I did it every weekend. And then sometimes I, I, I did drugs like for 30 days straight. And I still went to school and I still played sports, did all those things. I mean, it didn't dilapidate me, but I was getting hooked on getting high. And so when I came back from that concert and I received Jesus Christ, I was going back and forth with finding, you know, wanting to have a relationship with Jesus and then struggling with wanting to do something else. And so this battle took place. 
And then um, I was prayed for, and, and I asked God, I, I said, what is the problem? And somebody told me, he said, the problem is you don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't have the power and the strength to stand against temptation. And so I asked, and I asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it happened the very first time I prayed. I don't think it did. But there was a time when I was in a worship meeting, and the presence of God was so powerful, it was like waves of love coming over me. And then I just, I just received from the Lord the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe some of you have experienced this too. Uh, but I knew that something different happened in my life. The other thing that happened was I spoke in tongues. What? Pastor Al spoke in tongues? Yeah, I spoke in tongues. Like I had a different language. I wish it was Chinese, but it wasn't. You know, it was some heavenly language that I've never learned before or have never uh, experienced before, but I can tell you it is a language, and I use it in prayer at times. When I'm really deeply burdened for something, and I don't know how to pray, I pray in tongues. And so those evidences of the Holy Spirit, the love of God shed abroad in my heart, in a deep way, the, pro the presence and the promises of God, and this gift that was given to me, it propelled me to really want to experience more of God in my life. So I went to Bible college, and God called me into the ministry, and then I joined a ministry, and they didn't teach about the Holy Spirit. That was kind of like, they taught about the Holy Spirit, but not the same way that I interpreted the Holy Spirit. And so they took me aside because I had given my testimony, I told them everything that had happened to me, and I said I spoke in tongues, and they said, Al, we don't ever want you to tell anybody about that because that causes division. And we have a lot of different missionaries from a lot of different backgrounds and denominations. We're all together and we're all trying to spread the gospel in the inner city and we want you to just maintain unity. And I said, of course I would do that. But I'll tell you what we found out. We found out that a person's life does never changes without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So even though they may not have had the same theology that I had, we've discovered that a person coming to Christ and opening up and surrendering their life to the presence and the power of God was the only way for them to get victory in their life, for their lives to be healed of some of the wounds that they had experienced as children or young adults or even as adults and to be delivered out of drugs and alcohol. And it was only through the power of the Holy Spirit that that happened. And so I began to think about that, and I began to think that it is so true. One of our core values as a church is this, and even as our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Think about that. Without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And that is why... There are so many scriptures that have to deal with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and the church growing and expanding and being effective in a community because people are empowered with the Holy Spirit. There's an article that I read by uh, John Soper, Dr. John Soper, who used to be the district superintendent of our churches here. But he wrote this, and he quoted a pastor called William Law. He said this, many Christians are careful to observe certain times and places 
and rituals of worship, and when the service of the church is over, they are, they are but like those who profess no regard for religion. In their manner, in the way they spend their time and money, in the cares and the worries, the fears and the pleasures, the indulgences and diversions, it is often impossible to distinguish professing Christians from the rankest unbelievers until they once again unite to sing of their love and devotion to Jesus. Pastor William Law. What's interesting is this. That's not written by Francis Chan in his book, The Forgotten God, about the Holy Spirit. It's not written by A.W. Tozer. It's written by this pastor in the 1700s. The same thing that is happening in our churches today was happening in the 1700s, but was also happening simultaneously was great revivals, the great first and second awakening, the revivals that go down in history that happened in England and the United States were happening at that same time. So what is the difference? It's people's openness. It's people's hungering and thirsting for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? National pollsters have repeatedly documented the fact that regular church attendance has little or no impact when it comes to shaping the behavior patterns of the people of God. Christians are just as likely to sue their neighbors, cheat on their income taxes, engage in inappropriate sexual behavior and divorce their spouses as the general population. John Soper also wrote that. What happens if we don't and if we are not empowered and then led, led by the Holy Spirit, what happens? How are we led in our lives? We're led by our natural, sinful nature. And we're led by that nature, we'll make the wrong choices. We'll act on our anger. We'll act in our unforgiveness. We'll act in a way that is selfish instead of loving and caring. And so that is why it's so important that we be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, the Apostle Paul offers some very appropriate counsel when he says this, Live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 through 25, and 25. So let me, let us bring it, let's bring it back to us personally. What are the evidence? If you said to me, Pastor Al, I don't really know if I've ever experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure about what you're talking about. Are you talking about baptism, water baptism? I've been baptized. I've ex received Jesus Christ in my life. Is that all there is? And I'll tell you, no, there's more. I will tell you, there is more than that. There is more than that that God wants you to experience. And maybe because you have not experienced more than that, you're in the same place I was, struggling, going back and forth, back and forth into the world or into your own sinful nature and then, and then struggling back and forth with sin, confessing sin, doing sin, confessing sin, doing the same sin, confessing sin. And there needs to be a breaking of power in you to overcome that. And so the Apostle Paul knew that and he spoke about that. It's being led and being empowered and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So what is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? One of them, one of the most biggest ones is that you experience God's love poured out into your heart. 
Romans 5, 5. Look at this verse. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When the Apostle Paul's writing this, he's writing it to believers who have received the Holy Spirit, and he says, Your hope has, you have a sure hope, and you have the love of God that's been shed abroad or poured out into our hearts. And it's kind of like the difference between walking in a drizzling rain and walking in a downpour. When you walk in a downpour, you get totally soaked. I think we're going to get one of those tomorrow, downpour. But when you walk in a drizzle, yeah, you can, you can get by. You know, there's it's a little bit of, you know, spit on your face, you know, from the clouds or whatever. But, but a powerful rain, an outpouring, is what God says the Holy Spirit does in our hearts to let us know that we belong to Him. There was a, a fellow, there was an evangelist, Dwight Lyman Moody. He was a 19th century evangelist. And uh, he talked to probably over a million people. He led over a million people to the Lord. But this was his testimony about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it to you. One day, Moody was in New York City walking the streets toward the house of a friend, and Moody said, God Almighty seemed to come very near. I felt I must be alone. He went to the house of a friend and asked for a room so that he could be alone with God. He went to his knees, and he sensed God's presence come near. This is how Moody describes it. Ah, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It's almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. After this, I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed where I was placed before that blessed experience if you should give me the whole world. Moody experienced the baptism of the Spirit. It changed him. It changed his ministry. He was empowered by the Spirit, not just gifted and called, but empowered with the supernatural power of God. Moody described it later with this image. I was all the time tugging and carrying water, but now I have a river that carries me. It's almost as if Moody was just going through the motions or trying his very best to be a Christian. And now, God empowered him and carried him. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that happens, we experience a relationship with your loving Heavenly Father. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave's so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's very interesting. That word, by Him we cry, it's an inner cry of the heart that comes forth out of the Holy Spirit also working within us, and His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And there is an assurance that you belong to Him. There is an assurance 
that you have eternal life. So many people say, hey, when I die, I guess I'll find out if I made it. No, this is, that's not the way to live. The way to live is to know deep in your heart and understand deep in your heart that God loves you, has forgiven you, claims you as His own, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not even death. Because you'll be right in His presence. Charles Finney was an 18th century uh, evangelist. And this is what he said in the Second Great Awakening. I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was such a thing for me, without any memory of ever hearing the thing mentioned by any person in the world. The Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go right through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves of liquid love, for I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can remember distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No other words can express the wonderful love that was spread abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I literally bellowed out the unspeakable overflow of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after another, until I remember crying out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I can't bear it anymore. Yet I had no fear of death. This was an incredible, life-altering encounter with God. God wasn't done yet. Finney says the next day he had another encounter with God just like it. Immediately after these baptisms of the Holy Spirit, Finney began to preach, and his words had tremendous spiritual power from the Holy Spirit. Finney began to preach... And and the words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows to the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. And when we are walking in the fullness of the Spirit, the presence of God adds a weightiness to our words that clearly are supernatural. Our words go beyond touching the mind and touch and penetrate the heart. You see, as a parent or as a child or in a family, or in a marriage. I really believe to have a healthy and whole family, the power and the person of the Holy Spirit has to be at work in your life. Because the words that you say from the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the love that He gives you for your family can profoundly change their lives profoundly change their lives. That's why it's so important that we experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The third thing is experience the power of the Holy Spirit leads to greater faith and boldness to share the gospel with others. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus told the church. He said, you need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in order for you to proclaim my love and my message to other people. And it's so true. We need that same power and presence today. So the evidences of the Holy Spirit, it's His love. It's a sense of uh, a greater faith, a boldness in sharing the gospel with others. You discover and use your spiritual gifts 
you'll understand that the 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so what the Holy Spirit does, He'll give you gifts to use that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that when you begin to serve, you begin to understand and say, this is a joy, this isn't a, dr this isn't a drudgery. When you begin to be prompted and moved by the Holy Spirit, there's a joy and there's a delight in doing what He's called you to do. And if you've never experienced that, then you have to question, have I actually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life? And the fifth one is there is a holiness. Integrity, integrity is part of your everyday life. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can't we use a little bit of all of that in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Yes. The Holy Spirit brings about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we can live a life that honors Christ. And when people see us, they say, that person, there's something different about that person. The way that they react when difficulties happen, the way that they respond, when somebody responds to them negatively, they seem to be able to not curse back, but to give a blessing. What is that? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and he proclaims the Messiah there. And Samaria is one of those places nobody wants to go. It's on the other side of the tracks, let's say. It's uh, maybe uh, you don't want to go down to Wyandanch, or you don't want to go down to uh, Harlem, or you don't want to go down to certain areas of the Bronx. But Philip is led there. And he's led by the Holy Spirit to go there and to proclaim the message of the gospel. But there's this man there, Simon, he practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people in Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So Simon was a sorcerer, and he had some power. And if, uh, you know, I, I've seen some people have, have certain power like fortune tellers or different people in the occult do have some power. And for Simon, he had the power. And the people's reputation of him in that city in Samaria was that he's the great power of God. But Simon, when he heard Philip's message, he himself believed and was baptized. And then he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw happen through Philip as he proclaimed the gospel. So what's happening this sorcerer is now seeing the power of God. He knows what his power is and how limited it is. And then he, so he believes and he's baptized. He receives Jesus into his life. But guess what happens next? When Simon saw that the Spirit... So what happens is that... Uh, and I skipped a little bit here. So what happens is uh, Peter and John come down to Samaria because they want to check out what's happening in Samaria because these people that aren't really Jewish are receiving the Lord 
and they're getting baptized. And so, uh, so what they do is they pray for them and they say, now you receive the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit after they were baptized. And they did. And so when Simon saw that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And what does Peter say? May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. What I want to notice here is Simon received the Lord, got baptized... But what's happening in his heart? It's full of bitterness and it's captive to sin. So is he experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? No. He's not. He knows. He's repented of his sin. But there's areas in his life that he's holding on to and they've got a hold of him and he's in bondage. And I want to tell you that I've been there and you may be there. And what happens is we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to make a change. The reason I get so emotional about this is because I've seen people continue to walk in direct hardness of heart. and never yield to the Holy Spirit's leading. And it seems like they're caught in this bondage and this bitterness and this sense of, you know, they don't, they don't sing that song. They don't sing that song we said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. They don't sing that. They don't sing that song with joy. They don't know that song deep in their heart. It's not the cry of their heart. And as a pastor, I've seen people live this way and make the wrong choices. I've been doing this for over 40 years. And I want to tell you, the only way to freedom, empowerment, is to open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and be honest with Him. You say, why would I want the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a good question. Because Simon, that's what they asked Simon. (laughs) You thought you could buy this? You wanted it for your own good? You wanted it for your comfort? No. The power of the Holy Spirit is so that you can be empowered to love people the way that God calls you to do it. To live your life in a way that God calls you to live it. It's not so that you'll get that second job or that better promotion or a bigger house or a bigger car or whatever that is that you think that you need to be happy. It's just the opposite. You need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that can't be bought with money. So you can say, Al, why do some people never experience 
or received the power of the Holy Spirit as it's spoken about in the book of Acts. Why does that happen? And it's not because God isn't, isn't there. Because if we continue to disobey God in areas of life where we know He wants us to repent, it's grieving the Holy Spirit. It's like putting a barrier. It's making, uh, you know, I started to cry right now. You see the Holy Spirit, how the, how, how the Lord weeps over us sometimes because we aren't trusting Him. We aren't being led by Him. And He says, oh, I have so much for you. So much for you. The other one is if we live in fear of giving control of our lives and future to the Lord, if we resist the leading and the working of the Holy Spirit, this is called quenching the Spirit. When we resist, the leading of the Holy Spirit, when He's telling you to step out in faith, when He's telling you to speak in love, when He's telling you to forgive, and you resist that, you're quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're not going to be experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Third one, if we want the power for self-glory like Simon did, or personal gain or success. This is being motivated by the sinful nature. It's not being motivated through the Holy Spirit. And so there's times when God will just say, no, until I, I, your heart changes, I can't empower you because it's just going to go to your head. It's just going to go to yourself. You're going to take this gift for yourself and not for my glory. And the fourth one, when apathy or cynicism has overtaken our hearts and made them hardened, we've lost our zeal for the Lord. This is when the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched as well. And we miss out on all that God has for us. You know, there's times in our lives when God wants to do something new in our lives. And so as we, you know, call on Him and, and call upon Him, He's faithful to answer us. I remember with my experience, I think God had to kind of work on my motives for why I wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And He still works on me because I want to tell you I'm not experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to the degree that I know that He wants me to even today. So I, I'm in the same boat as you guys. And I, and I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray that I, I would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be led by the Spirit and that our church would be as well. And if you're If you have no concern about that, if you have no concern at all about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want to tell you, 
you, you're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place. And I believe God brought you here today just to hear this message and to take some steps forward for seeking Him. When you finish the book of Acts, when you read through the book of Acts, you can go to chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 13, chapter 16, chapter 18, chapter 19. You can go right through the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit is showing up in people's lives that have already believed but yet have not yet received the Holy Spirit. And to the degree that God wanted them to. And then we're going to look later on in this series about people that received the Holy Spirit, like the Corinthian church, but yet they weren't living out what God wanted them to live out. So let's pray. Let's ask God to do a work in us that, you know, we can't do. You know, somebody said if you ask God, our Father, you know how to give good gifts to your children, but if, if you ask God, the Father, for the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you a scorpion. Is, you know, is He going to give you something that's going to poison? No, He's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's in his timing. He's the one that gives the gift. It's not on your timing. It's on his timing. So as we close out today's service, we're going to sing and we're going to ask the Lord to work and move in our hearts. And I pray that you will just continue to seek God, be thirsty, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for your word to us today. Lord, I ask that you would Awaken us to the things that we need to understand about your presence and your power in our lives, Lord. Give us a heart that is open to you. Work in our lives. Lord, we give you this time right now, Lord. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Have your way today now, in Jesus' name.